Hi, this is Ron Hogan, and you are listening to Life Stories, a Beatrice.com podcast about memoirs and memoir writers. And my guest today is Gary Marcus, the author of Guitar Zero, The New Musician and the Science of Learning. Welcome, Gary. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Thanks. Um, so, strictly speaking, this is a little bit more than a memoir. I mean, there's definitely a memoirish component to it, but there's more to it than that. And uh, tell us a little bit about what Guitar Zero is about. Well, Guitar Zero is about my own story, about learning to play guitar at the age of 38, not 42. Um, and it's also about how anybody learns to play guitar. My day job is as a scientist, and so this combines my own personal story with the science of how people learn about music, as well as some uh, rock journalism. So I got to meet or interview people like Tom Morello and Pat Metheny and Lenny Kay and so forth. What prompted the decision at 38? Because um, you, you were not musically inclined before that. Uh, well, actually, the title Guitar Zero is, is a play on words that, mm -hmm. um, that's doubly relevant. One is that it's an allusion to the video game Guitar Hero, which I'll get back to in a minute. And the other is to ground zero, which is the fact that I had no talent whatsoever. And in fact, negative talent, that's sort of a rounding error to, to say zero talent. Um, so, for example, when I was a kid, I tried to play recorder and I couldn't play Mary Had a Little Lamb and I got kicked out of recorder class. So I had a long series of bad experiences. Uh, which continued until I played Guitar Hero at the age of 38. And then my wife helped me to get through the first level of that video game. It's a sort of silly video game where dots fall from the top of the screen. You have to press the buttons in time on a plastic guitar controller. Uh, and I couldn't even do that because I have no natural sense of rhythm whatsoever. But my wife helped me get through it. And after she helped me with one song, I was able to get through some more songs, eventually able to get through the medium level. And at that point, I said, you know, maybe if I just practice hard enough, I could actually learn something about a real instrument. And I picked up a real guitar and became completely obsessed. And sometime after that, I thought I better write a book about this in order to keep myself going, in order to justify to myself how I'm putting all this time into it. And when you started this, you... Um... You mentioned in the book that you had a year sabbatical coming up, so it became like a really sort of intensive project for you. Yeah, at first it was sort of a hobby during that sabbatical time. It was a little bit, a little bit more time to reflect and think and so forth, but it really did become an obsession. And so as, as a psychologist in my day job, I started reading about the psychology of how people learn music and comparing that to the work that I sort of ordinarily do, which is how children learn language. And then as a hobbyist, I just, you know, I started buying guitars and taking lessons and, and uh, became pretty obsessed. As you say, you started out with like, you know, no sense of rhythm and sort of like no musical aptitude to speak of. And then sort of like gradually got better at it over time. And, and I'm thinking like as a neuropsychologist, knowing what you do know about how the mind works and and what you don't know about how the mind works yet, yeah, there must be that sort of like meta component to learning how to to do music. That it's like you, you you're sort of like learning the music and thinking about the the mental processes at the same time. That's exactly right. I kept a diary as I was going uh, through the whole process, and the book in in some ways grew out of that diary. And it's definitely the case that I was reflecting on myself. I was sort of turning my scientist eye on my you know human being uh, self and looking at what I was doing efficiently, what I wasn't doing efficiently. Um, I started, for example, with the notion that I better immerse myself because that's how we learn foreign languages. So if you take a language once a week in a class, you're not really going to learn anything. But if you actually go to a foreign country and, and are forced to learn it, you're going to be better off. And so at the beginning, I tried to actually immerse myself 
uh, in music. And in the book, I go through a lot of detail about what's actually involved in learning an instrument, what's involved in learning the guitar in particular, what are the things that uh, experts know that novices don't, what do people know about time, for example, that novices don't, how do you learn something as complicated as the fretboard, how do you calibrate your ears with your eyes and your fingers, and so forth. So I very much took the scientist's perspective on what I was doing, which unfortunately doesn't eliminate the need for practice. So I think a lot of people, you know, wish I had a magic bullet, but there's there, there's no, you know, one thing you can do to completely uh, solve the problem. I mean, there really is, because of the way the human mind is laid out, because our memories are not that good, there's, there's going to be a lot of practice involved, even for a scientist. But I hope I describe, you know, what the process is like and, and, and inspire people and, and maybe make it a little bit easier by helping them know what things to focus on. There's a lot of talk culturally, uh, th throughout the culture, about, like, you know, the whole 10,000 hours concept. That, uh, you know, if you put in the 10,000 hours that you'll become competent at it. It seems like there's a little bit more to it than that. Yeah, the 10,000 hours, first of all, the claim is not that you'll become competent, which might actually be true, but that you'll become an expert. And that's not actually true. So um, how many hours something takes depends on a few things. It depends, first of all, on how complicated a skill that is. So if it takes you 10,000 hours to learn tic-tac-toe, you're doing something wrong. Um, it depends on what kind of practice you do. So there are studies that show that it's not so much the number of hours you practice as, as how you practice that really matter. And then talent still exists. A lot of people have talked about 10,000 hours as if it doesn't matter if you're talented or not. But the Beatles learned a lot more in 3,000 hours than most of us could learn in 20,000 hours. So talent still exists, and, and how you practice is really important. When you talk in the book about starting out and, and immersing yourself you, know, you draw the parallels between language education and and, and music education and, and picking up a new language skill. And one of the ideas that comes up is is that, oh, you know, if you don't start learning a language by the time you're six, it's just never going to come naturally to you. And, and that also seems to be debunked to a certain extent there, that it's, you know, at 38, it's not too late to pick up an instrument. To, that, that's right. exactly right. One of the things that inspired me early on was a gradual discovery from the science that, that I was working on, that the notion of critical periods, that you have to learn something by the time you're six or by the time you're 15 and your hormones start racing around or something like that, it's just not true. So things do gradually, or some things gradually get more difficult for adults as they get older. But there's no like magic discrete moment where a light switch switches off and you can't learn things anymore. Uh, there are some adults who learn second languages perfectly well. It's not common, but it's possible. And there are animal studies that show that if you learn things incrementally, step by step as an adult, you can often uh, do as well as the kids do. So you can't sometimes do things in as large a step as children can, but if you take it bit by bit, uh, then adults are, are perfectly able to learn new things. And how did your progress come along? I mean, where was the point at, at which, as you're putting in all these hours in the hobby phase, what did it feel like when you got to the point where you're like, you know, I think this is working. I think this might actually go somewhere. It's hard to say. I think, I think there's like a series of, of um, steps that you reach. And so the first one was probably just a few weeks into the process. I learned that I could make up my own music um, by just using something called the A minor pentatonic scale. And that was a profound realization that if you knew a set of notes that went together, you put them pretty much in any order, they would all sound good together. That was the first time I felt like I was making any real progress. Um, and then there have been, been any number of steps along the way, like I've 
finally could play in time with a metronome, at least just playing quarter notes on a metronome. That For me, that was a big deal. I know a lot of people could do that from day one, but for me, it was a big deal. And then I got to the point where I could play with other musicians. I can't, I can't sort of steal the stage, but I can participate with other musicians, and I've gotten the chance to do that as part of my book tour with um, amazing people like Vernon Reed of Living Color, and that's an amazing sort of step. There are still many to come. Like I, I, I don't want to sell myself as a great musician, but I'm a competent musician now, or at least a competent sort of intermediate musician, and that's very exciting. Right. And it's kind of a bizarre progression. I mean, like, you know, I guess in terms of the publication cycle, it's probably like two, three years ago that you were playing with, uh, you know, with kids in a rock camp sort of scenario. Yeah. One of the most fun things yeah. that I did for writing the book was I played with a group of kids. That was actually 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a summer camp where on the first day you meet your friends in, in, in a band and you make up a song. And by the fifth day, by Friday, uh, you play it on stage and all the kids brought their parents and I brought my parents which was uh, quite terrifying. And that was my first live stage performance. So that was a couple of years ago now. And actually on the book tour, I got to play with one of those kids again. That was that was uh, an, an exciting thing. But um, so, yeah, there there is a slow process between, you know, when you write a book and when it actually appears. Right. This is true. But, yeah, like, w- but within the space of three years, it's like, you know, you go from playing um, with, you know, kids at a camp to playing with the lead guitarist of Living Color. And... Yeah. The, the, this is an unusual experience. I can't promise everyone will, will have such uh, luck and success as I did. Um, a lot of those kids are actually better musicians than I am. They were better then, and, and you know, they're certainly better now. So I'm not I, I'm not the best musician from from the camp. I, w- I wouldn't want to pretend otherwise. One of the other things I, I loved about that sequence in the book is that, I mean, you started out on uh, you know the typical six string guitar. And you get to this camp, and y- your friend who sort of runs the camp is like, "Yeah, they're they're going to need a bass guitarist." And, right. and so that's basically how you became a bass guitarist. That's right. He said, "If you want to get, we weren't really friends. I had never met him at that mm-hmm. point. Um, we became friends later." But the director, I call him up and I say, "Can I come to the camp?" And he says, "Sure." And I, I wanted to just watch and see what the kids are like and compare it with adults. And he says, but to get the full experience, you really need to be in a band. I'm like, uh, okay. And then he says, and you have to learn to play bass because there's never enough bass players. And that, that was the beginning of my bass career. Do you have like a range of, of instruments that you play now? I mostly play guitar, but I, I still um, play bass occasionally. I just bought an electric upright bass, um, which is a very cool instrument. My fingers aren't quite strong enough for it yet, but I'm working on it. Um, I play a tiny bit of ukulele uh, and a tiny bit of keyboard. Yeah, it's interesting. A friend of mine, also sort of, you know, our same age bracket, early 40s, recently picked up a ukulele. And he's saying that he finds it a a really good sort of entry point, that it's simpler enough than the typical six string guitar, that the sort of the technical barriers of, of entry aren't there the way that they are. That's right. If I knew. What I know now, I might have started with the ukulele. You don't have the physical force that's required for the bar chords that is required in a guitar. Because you only have four strings, it's a little bit easier to keep track of the notes. Uh, I think, you know, the ukulele is actually a pretty cool way to start. On the other hand, a wonderful experience I had the other day is a friend, Roger Greenwald, who plays the ukulele, presented his ukulele to Vernon Reed. And so I got to see Vernon Reed's first ever uh, playing on the ukulele. He's like, what do you do with this? And we all explained, well, it's the same as the top four strings on the guitar. And then he was up and practicing. It was amazing. And one of the technical things about guitar playing, uh, and you write a lot about this in the book, is that you know, learning to play the guitar isn't just about sort of like the mental process of learning the notes and and all that. That 
this is a really fine motor skill here that, that that's involved in learning to become a competent guitar player. That's right. Guitar, or, or really any instrument, has all the athleticism that's required of a sport, as well as kind of the intellect that's required of a game like chess. So in chess, you have to memorize all the openings. and guitar, you have to learn everything about the fretboard. And you've got to do all these physical things. So just holding down a bar chord is something that can take people months or years to be able to really do smoothly. Um, and then there's all the fine motor coordination involved, especially if you're going to play flamenco or something like that with your right hand, the de details of what you need to do. So that there's an enormous amount of motor learning where you have to start with something you kind of know consciously what you want to do, and you got to get to be able to a point where you can do it without thinking about it. So you have to make a transition from what's called declarative memory to procedural memory, and that just requires a lot of practice. So it would be nice if we could kind of upload that to our brain, but nobody's figured out how to do that yet. And procedural memory is comparable to what's popularly known as muscle memory? Or? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So muscle memory is a bit of a misnomer because it's really in your brain, not your muscles. But that's 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 what it is, is, is the ability to get your muscles to do something without thinking about it. So how many chords can you switch off on in a given song like at this point <laughs> i've gotten to the point where the, the chords don't matter so much anymore like mm -hmm. I, like when i was starting I was like i could do the a minor chord and the e minor chord and anything else was complicated but i've, I've gotten to the point where a complexity of a song is not so much about what chords are involved, but say the rhythmic uh, structure and maybe how complicated uh, the structure of the song is. It's also the case that most of what I do is improvisation um, rather than playing songs. But the chords are no longer a problem for me the way they were in the beginning. So I know a lot of chords now and I'm reasonably comfortable making them. And I can even finally make those dreaded bar chords. And at least if I'm not on stage but home alone, I can make those, those bar chords pretty well now. You mentioned that when you were starting out that you were essentially keeping a training diary mm -hmm. um, as you were going through. And I'm kind of curious, at the point at which you sort of decided that there was a book here? I think I was about six months in or something like that. And I realized that to get good at the guitar, I was going to have to keep going at the guitar and that I had a kind of personality where if it was too far from the rest of my life, I might not be disciplined enough about it. And so the book was really like a trick to keep myself going. And then the book has turned out to be very successful, and that's great. But the the reason the book originally came into existence was almost like this game I was playing with myself. Of, Why am I doing this? Well, it's not just to become a great guitarist, because I'm not going to become a great guitarist, but maybe I'll write something about it. Um, and and that, that gave a little extra motivation. Yeah. And it turns out, it, it, it or it feels like it turns out, that this is... Um really not all that tangential in a way from your professional or academic focus that the types of things that you're fascinated with on a day-to-day -day basis it, as a it, professor. Exactly. What I, I studied with Stephen Pinker at MIT, and ever since then I've been interested in these questions about what's innate, what's built into the mind, what is the structure of the mind, how did it evolve, and mostly I've focused on language, and music is a perfect counterpoint to that because you have the same questions about music, about how to develop, is it innate or not. Um, but in a, in a system that's at, at once both similar and different. So it's similar because they're hierarchical structures, for example, in both language and music, but it's different because you don't have the same kind of meaning, for example. So it's wonderful for me to think about the relation between them, to think about um, whether language is a skill like music. Um, I've tried to argue in the book that although language is probably built in, music is probably not something that's built into the brain. So there's all these kind of interesting comparisons and contrasts between the two. As a novice guitarist, when you're you're starting out, and then when you sort of realize it's like, okay, this is a subject I actually want to write about, 
was it then that you sort of started reaching out to other guitarists um, and sort of experts in the field to sort of get their perspective on these issues? I think one thing that happened was that led me, the, once I made the decision to write a book, I realized I had to get lessons. I was really frightened to get a lesson because it had such a bad experience as a child and basically the, you know, the teacher fired me. Um, and I didn't want to waste anybody's time. And when I decided I was going to write a book about it, I realized I needed to get a bit more serious about it. And so that um, drove drove me to get lessons. And then just the fact that you're writing a book about something kind of opens worlds because you tell people at a party, hey, I'm writing a book about learning guitar. And they say, well, you should meet my friend so-and-so. And then you meet their friend so-and-so and they introduce you to someone else. So another thing I really liked about the book was the way that musicians welcomed me into their world. Now I know a fair number of you know, reasonably well-known musicians, and everybody's been very welcoming, which is not always true in science. In science, people are very competitive with one another. Um, but I found the, the the world of musicians and music teachers also, I should say. Um, I, I wrote a lot about people teaching like Suzuki classes to six-year-olds and things like that. Um, all of these people welcomed me into the world, and they all introduced me to other people and so forth. So once I kind of made a step in that direction, I felt uh, very much... Uh, allowed to sit in on the world of musicians and that's been a wonderful thing yeah i mean those passages you know come through really really powerfully in the book that you know here are you you're sort of just like picked up a guitar for the first time four years ago but you know with within the timeline it's it's not it's even less time after that, that it's like you've picked up a guitar and then you're getting to talk with pat Matheny about you know the philosophy or the science of of musicianship yeah, talking with Pat was amazing. And then we did a panel together on the World Science Festival. And he's, he's a truly inspirational person. He's, he's a brilliant human being, um, and, you know, knows everything there is to know about music. And he really liked the idea of the book. And so he, he um, actually came and visited me. I have a country house and he came to the country house uh, and spent three hours with me. And he was you know, very generous of his time because he would like to see, you know, more people enjoy music and understand music and so forth. How often do you get to play now? Do you still like um, practice regularly? I would try to practice every day. The book tour itself has not been the best thing for my guitar playing in one way because I had a little bit less time because I've been, been doing media and things like that. But I try to practice at least 20 minutes every day. And another way, the book has been great because I've had about a dozen or so stage shows where I've gotten to play on stage, and that's a totally different experience from what I had before, and you know, often with very good musicians. And so I've learned something about how to be comfortable in front of a crowd and things like that, and how to, mm -hmm. how to fit in with other musicians. Um, you know, each time I play with someone that has a different instrumentation, like the first time I played with a clarinetist, I learned something from that. Um, so that, that's been a great learning experience. Uh, I look forward to when the media slows down a little bit, and I have even more time over the summer uh, mm -hmm. to practice more. Yeah. And so it sounds like the way that you've gotten into it and, and dealt with um, getting the instruments and all that is that, I mean, it's, it's been very sort of like focused on the task uh, or the, the act of learning to play music rather than becoming one of these guys who like, you know, has to get a new guitar at like every city he goes to well, I <laughs> or do. like every shop that you, you, you like find. I have a mild case of what they call guitar acquisition syndrome. I have a few more guitars than I probably strictly need, but, but I am more into, learning about the music than, than buying many guitars. Mm -hmm. It also seems like in, in writing this that, you know, although the things that you've written about earlier are intensely important to you and, and something that you're very focused on, that there is still, to a certain extent, a more personal quality to this book. That's right. Th this book has, has, I think, gotten much more, not just more attention, but more 
kind of emotional connection than the other books. The other books have been also about how the human mind works, how it evolved, and so forth, but not as personal. And so that's reflected in, for example, the kind of email that I get. So uh, my last book, Kluge, The Haphazard uh, Evolution of the Human Mind, certainly people wrote to me about it. They either agreed with things or they disagreed with but this book, they write and they say, you're writing about my life. This, or, you know, I feel really inspired. This has led me back to the guitar. And so this book has actually, I think, like made a tangible difference in many people's lives. And that's, and that's an amazing thing for an author. In addition to sort of giving you a musical competence as a performer or as a player, has it sort of enhanced your enjoyment of music as a listener? Oh, absolutely. One of the things I wrote about very close to the end of the book was listening to Kind of Blue by Miles Davis, and um, I guess the first song. So what, and just like actually sitting there saying, I get it. I see what these musicians are doing. Before, I liked music, but I didn't understand what the musicians were trying to do. I'd understand the lyrics, of course, but I didn't understand musically what was going on. And now, even when I listen to music of a genre that I don't particularly like, let's say heavy metal, I will hear things in the heavy metal that I never heard before, and I'll start to understand what they're trying to do, and I might, you know, find a lick I want to steal. So I think just about any music, good or bad, has become more interesting to me, and I would say I'm more passionate uh, than ever. Plus, I have this sort of benefit now. I get to, like, see the rehearsals of, uh, you know, famous bands, because I know some of the people in them now, and, and get to, like, go up on stage while they're rehearsing, and so get, like, even get another side of it. So it's been wonderful in helping me to understand what's going on and also sort of opened up a, a social world. And what sorts of things have you been listening to lately? I've been listening to a lot of different things lately. I think the last thing I listened to is King Crimson's Discipline, because I know some of the uh, the guys in King Crimson now. What else have I been listening to? I listen to all kinds of things. Mostly lately, it's been sort of gifts from friends in different genres. I listen a lot to Marilyn Crispell, the jazz pianist. She gave me a couple of her improvisational albums that I really love. Where is your writing taking you from here? Um, do you think your next book will, will also have this kind of blend of, you know, your your professional interests and your personal passions? Or um... I certainly hope so. I have some ideas from next book. I haven't quite nailed it down yet, but I, I definitely like this. I also like the journalism part of it. So I liked hearing other people's stories. When I was a kid, there was a book by Studs Terkel called Working, where he went around and interviewed people in, in their you know, just ordinary jobs uh, and you got an insight into you know different slices of life. And part of what I really enjoyed was interviewing the musicians, the, the Suzuki teachers, and so forth. And so I hope that'll also be part of my next book. We'll be sort of combining the science with, with, with people at work doing great things. Cool. Well, we will look forward to that. And I want to thank you for sitting down and having this chat with us. This has been Gary Marcus talking to us about his book, Guitar Zero, The New Musician and the Science of Learning, published by the Penguin Press. And you have been listening to Life Stories, a Beatrice.com podcast about memoirs. I'm Ron Hogan, and I thank you for listening and hope you'll keep an ear out for the next installment. Take care.